And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Eighty-three years. Eighty-three years. That's how old I am. No. Eighty-three years ago, Amelia Earhart disappeared, right? Uh, flying over, doing her round-the-world uh, flight. She disappears. Nobody's seen her for 83 years. All kinds of speculation that, you know, she landed her plane on some tropical island to get away from the world and has been living there ever since, you know, whatever. Um, but a group has come out today. They have a sonar picture image that they think is Amelia Earhart's plane. So they may have actually discovered it after 83 years. So we'll see. The mystery, because there's some great, if you ever watched the History Channel, there's some great shows on Amelia Earhart, The Flight, those type of things. Yeah. But it's always been the mystery of, you know, what happened to her. So again, we'll, we'll find out. So, I mean, we found the Titanic, so, you know. It, it's only sitting in 17,000 feet of water right now. <laughs> Probably, yeah. but we'll, 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 see what they, we'll see what they come up with. But anyway, it could be interesting. 83 yeah. years later, finally May, Finish the mystery of what happened. Yeah. And, and we'll see. So, um, of course, we also solved the mystery yesterday of the Federal Reserve. Uh, would they, won't they cut rates? They did not. So we'll talk about that with Michael Leibowitz this morning. <laughs> now uh, we just need to figure out what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. And we'll, <laughs> life will be complete. <laughs> I know what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My wife may use Jimmy Hoffa on me sometimes. So <laughs> if I ever come up disappearing, it's her. <laughs> She sent me a picture while you know she was traveling overseas last week, yeah. and she sent me a picture. Uh, she was she had a night off, and so she was in her room. She had uh, room service send up room. You know, she had a, a little bowl of spaghetti, you know, uh, a diet coke, and she goes, "I'm watching 2020." I'm like, "Great!" And she's, like, <laughs> she's even overseas, boning up on lectures. So uh, <laughs> anyway, a uh, couple of things uh, going on this morning. Um, the, look, the Federal Reserve. We'll talk about this some more. The Federal Reserve does not want to be responsible for. For a recession in an election year, and particularly one like this year, which is potentially going to be highly contentious once again. Um, you know, and, and this also kind of reminds me of 1992. Um, we're going to potentially see a third-party candidate, uh, being RFK Jr., uh, running for the election. And he's going to, and, and there's a lot of people that really are not affiliated with either Republicans or Democrats that may vote for RFK Jr. and just as the independent. And, you know, this was back, you know, Brent, you remember the whole Ross Perot, um, yeah. you know, run. And of course that took away votes at that time from Bush. Um, and so we'll see, you know, this could be one of those kind of, uh, you know, interesting elections where you have a third party candidate that actually has enough ability to draw votes away from one of the two primary candidates. And it could turn the outcome of the election. Uh, but the one thing the Fed does not want to be responsible for is putting the economy into a recession pre-election, right? Because if the economy's in a recession, the, a good example of this was George Bush, when uh, George the the the, the latter um, when he was running for election 2008. Um, when you're going into an election, now he was he was ending up his second term, so he wasn't up for re-election. 
But when the economy's in a recession, people will vote for whoever's not the incumbent. So Republicans did not have a chance, of course. Obama uh, won that election in 2008. But recessions do not work well uh, for the incumbent president. So again, this year in particular, the Fed does not want to be responsible for any type of recessionary dragging the economy prior to the election. So expect them to do whatever's necessary to try to keep things going for the time being. But we'll talk about this some more in a minute, but it was interesting yesterday, lots of expectations for a Fed rate cut. That didn't happen. And of course, that put the markets under a bit of pressure yesterday. But again, that should not be surprising at all. And we've been saying here for the last week or so, markets were very overbought, hold some cash, wait for a correction, you'll get an opportunity to put some money to work. So the correction itself was really not outsized. This is the first day that we've actually had a correction of more than 1% in quite some time. But again, pretty much normal. It was pretty much a well-controlled decline yesterday as well. You know, there was, there was a lot of selling in the tech names, but those have also been the ones that have been running up the most really ever since the beginning of this year. So again, seeing some of those stocks come off a bit was certainly not surprising. But here's what you need to know before the bell on two fronts this morning. Uh, one on the stock market, of course, selling off yesterday. We are very close to triggering that MACD sell signal again. And again, this is, you know, back at a fairly high level. Uh, we never really worked that off much. We did have a good reduction in some of that overbought reading yesterday. Futures are pointing higher on the S&P this morning. So we may see some buying coming in. Again, the market's approaching this 20-day moving average. So we could see some buying, kind of some bottom fishing coming in this morning after that sell-off yesterday. But I don't really expect it to hold up. Um, likely we'll get a, could get a little bit of a rally today, but most likely we're going to sell off a little bit more here over the course of the next few days. Probably retest this 20-day moving average. That's going to be very important for the markets to hold. If not, we're going to be testing the 50 uh, below that pretty quick. But that's going to encourage a bit more uh, or require a bit more selling in the markets. And that is also not uncommon for the month of February. So we had a very strong January. Uh, the month of February tends to be a bit weaker. So seeing the market kind of slop around here after this uh, very stellar run that we've had ever since last November, uh, a month or so of the market kind of grinding sideways, not doing a whole lot, would not be surprising at all at this point. So keep a watch on that. Again, the sell signal will be, uh, is, is going to be kind of a good indication. Again, that doesn't mean the markets are going to crash just because you have a sell signal. It just kind of means the market's going to grind around a bit and, and not really make a lot of, of an advance in the short term. On the other side of this, though, was bonds yesterday had a very good day um, because of two things. One, we had the Treasury coming out announcing what their next issuance is going to be, shifting duration uh, that was very favorable to, to, to the longer duration bonds. At the same time, the Fed's actions yesterday sell off in the markets put money into more kind of a, that safe safety risk off area of the market, which is long dated treasuries. Uh, bonds popped back above that 200 day moving average, took out all the resistance that was building up above that, cleared that yesterday, triggering a MACD uh, buy signal. So we've now got kind of clear room here for interest rates to come a bit lower. Interest rates broke below 4% on the 10-year treasury yesterday. So we're now gonna try to rechallenge most likely this 100 level on TLT, again, kind of retesting those recent lows in interest rates. But again, after a good kind of a reset, after that big run we had, had this correction, market kind of reset. So now we've got a, a nice trajectory here to see potentially lower rates on the longer end of the curve here over the course of the next few months. Again, this is gonna be, uh, be a, a, a while 
as we're working through this because inflation is likely going to stall here a bit. This decline in inflation that we've had is likely going to stall. That's going to keep interest rates somewhat contained, probably between three and a half and four percent here for a while. But once you start getting into much slower economic growth, either later this year or next year, then that's where interest rates will fall. And of course, as the Fed starts cutting rates, these interest rates, and, and of course, the, uh, the inverse of that is bond prices will go substantially higher. Um, that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. So when we come back from the break, we'll pick up with Michael Lieb. Let's talk all about what the Fed said yesterday and really what they didn't say. Uh, and what does that mean for the markets, your money, portfolio, et cetera. Be sure to get by the website, though. Um, Mike's latest article is out. And of course, our daily market commentary is all about Taylor Swift. So <laughs> if, if you don't, if you want to know how much money she's making, it's a lot. It's in our daily market commentary on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So, uh, yesterday, uh, we discussed the fact that um, a Delaware judge voided Elon Musk's compensation plan of $55 billion, and he took a poll on Twitter saying, should he move to Texas? And we were talking about this yesterday morning, and at that time, the poll was still active. There was already like you know, a million votes on this thing, literally like a million people voted in this thing. Um, and 83% of them said, yes, move to Texas. So he has actually announced today that he is in the process meeting with his board to move the incorporation of Tesla to Texas. So it will now become a Texas corporation. We'll have no state income tax. But <laughs> so uh, another win for Texas uh, because we will certainly enjoy that tax revenue. See, you got it. See, this is the thing, right? You can have all your political biases, but don't kick out the revenue. This is the problem. <laughs> What the revenue coming to Texas? Do you know that if Texas seceded, that we would pick up two hundred fifty-four billion dollars a year in revenue that we send to the United to uh, the, the U.S. government? What are taxes? we waiting for? Yeah, we would, that that would all stay in Texas. Yeah, lots of people talking right now about you know that whole secession talk is picked Get, up a lot with this whole back. border issue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we'll see. But yeah, two hundred fifty-four billion. It's not too bad. Not too shabby. Um, <laughs> okay, so yesterday, of course, the big news. Uh, the Federal Reserve decided that uh, they would not cut rates, and pretty much, you know, the, the doves were were shot in flight yesterday morning, uh, hoping for a March rate cut that has now been taken off the table. Markets sold off on that news, but markets were already look. And, and again, you know, while the markets sold off, we were down about one and a half percent yesterday, and markets sold off more after the meeting. First of all. It was not that big of a sell-off yesterday and, and relative to what we've seen here in the run-up in the markets. And it, and it was primarily concentrated in the tech stocks, which were already under pressure because of earnings from Google and Microsoft, et cetera, yesterday, which were an AMD, 
which Google's ad revenue missed. Microsoft blew out on numbers across the board, but Microsoft typically always sells off after they have their announcements, and that's just kind of the norm because uh, it runs up into the into the announcement and they kind of take profits after the news. Uh, AMD was off a little bit on on their outlook. But again, so it's not surprising that the markets were down. They were down anyway before the Fed meeting. They just got a little bit more traction after the meeting. But again, it wasn't, you know, while while there was a lot of headlines yesterday about, you know, taking away the punch bowl, it really didn't change the markets that much. There wasn't that much damage done across the markets, and, and bonds did very well yesterday. So again, just try to keep some of this stuff in perspective. Um, today, of course, We've got another slew of the Mega 7 coming out. We've got Apple, Amazon, and Meta all after the bell today. Uh, so, again, very likely we're going to see, a, you know, a, you know a, probably some more pressure on those stocks tomorrow um, after they announce their earnings today. So, you know, tomorrow morning, expect to see probably some red across the board on, on portfolios. Now, this morning, futures are pointing higher um, so we'll, you know, this market is going to, you know, see a little bit of bottom fishing coming in this morning. But I'd be careful chasing that that bottom this morning because of those earnings coming out after the bell today. Again, just the norm has been that these stocks tend to sell off more often, not always, but more often than not, they tend to sell off after earnings announcements because the stock has run up so much going into the earnings announcement. So again, it's kind of the buy the rumor, sell the news type thing. So just just be aware, we've got a lot. And then tomorrow, we have the employment numbers coming out in the morning. That's you know be heavily watched. ADP out yesterday was not you know uh, uh, you know totally exciting. So we'll we'll see. And of course, we're watching these jolt quit quits rates, which are, are suggesting that the economic environment slowing down a bit more than what headlines suggest. So it doesn't really translate with the employment number because the household survey suggests we're doing about 30,000 jobs a month and the the BLS survey saying we're doing 193. So there's a big gap between what seems to be happening, kind of boots on the ground economy versus what we're getting out of the economic reports. Again, this is an election year, by the way. So with all that said, let's get into talking a little bit about, you know, what the Fed said yesterday, kind of what to expect. Michael Leibowitz, welcome to the show this morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. So uh, uh, anything, I mean, we kind of suspected, you know, kind of what was going to happen yesterday. Did anything kind of jump out at you that was not expected? Uh, a couple interesting things. So they put out a statement with before Jerome Powell speaks. They actually put out a statement. And as we've talked about, the statement is usually very similar to the statement from the prior meeting, except they change a few words. Half the time, those words are just grammatical in nature. Like this year, they changed a few things because it's a new year. But but this time, they made a lot of changes. I thought this would be pretty much one of those meetings where they changed next to nothing. Interesting, one of the things that they took out at the beginning, it used to say the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. Mm -hmm. They took that out. They took it out the same day that New York Community Bank was down almost 50 percent because they had much they had to save a lot more money for losses than anyone was anticipating. So their their income was down significantly when people thought it would be when analysts thought it would be up. Now, you probably don't know who New York Community Bank is. But they're the ones that took over a large chunk of Signature Bank. Signature Bank was one of the banks that failed last March. So, uh, you know, to say that the banking system is to, to remove that statement that the banking system is sound and resilient 
is um, interesting. Interesting timing for that, especially with March is when uh, the Fed is going to remove their uh, BTFP program that was used to support those banks. So that's just worth uh, thinking about. But I, I think the broader message, there were a few. The, the big message is that employment and inflation are now on equal weighting at the Fed. So prior to, I guess, this meeting, the Fed would have told you flat out that we care more about inflation than employment. Numerous times, Jerome Powell would tell us that he's willing to let the unemployment rate go up if it means inflation coming back down to its target. Now I think they're on equal standing. So with that, as we think about when the Fed might cut rates, it's a combination of both. If if tomorrow's employment number is negative or or you know below 100, the market is going to start pricing in a March rate cut. If the CPI number in a week or two is below below where it should be and, and continues to show a trending lower, the market is going to think that the Fed's going to cut rates at its next meeting. And conversely, if they're strong, inflation's higher than expected and unemployment is lower than expected, then the Fed's then the market will start pricing in, you know, something more like March in May, May, June, July, something like that. So I, I think we're going to see a little more volatility as we've thrown employment back into the mix here. And it's not just inflation data. Yeah. And again, this is going to be kind of interesting because now that inflation has come down and, you know, as we've talked about before, you know, we measure inflation on a year over year basis. And there was this period where the year over year comparisons were very easy. Um, we were comparing against periods where we saw months where inflation was up over a percentage point. And so when you compare that on a year-over-year -year basis, you know, the decline in inflation became very easy, and we knew that was going to happen. The, the problem is now is those year-over-year comparisons are going to be much closer to each other, 0.2 versus 0.2, 0.3 versus 0.3. And this is going to slow the, the, the pace of that decline in inflation so we're going to see probably inflation begin to kind of stabilize in here, which is going to be a bit interesting for the Fed because the Fed wants to get closer to this 2% mark, but it may take a lot longer to get there than what they're anticipating. So this is going to be kind of interesting when they start talking about cutting rates and wanting to create an, you know, a, a more accommodative environment to try to stave off a recession, so to speak. But you potentially run the risk of increasing inflation. As, as we saw with consumer confidence out yesterday, consumer confidence has had a big uptick, and that is potentially letting people feel more confident about going out and spending money, you know, acting in the economy. That creates inflation um, to some degree. Now, we're not going to have a spike because we don't have the uh, – we don't have the supply chain problems that we had back previously, but it's certainly going to probably keep inflation from coming down as quickly as the Fed thinks. Right. That, the, the, uh, Jerome Powell said that. He said something to the effect that um, that sticky inflation mm -hmm. is the biggest risk. He's not worried about a, a resurge in inflation, but just sticky inflation. So kind of what you're talking about, Lance, where inflation just kind of sticks around here in the upper 2% versus their 2% target. But, you know, it, what was really interesting was his press conference and literally the first five or six questions were all the same question. Why aren't you cutting rates? 
we we now have inflation below below two percent for the last six months. If you look at recent history, inflation is at or below the Fed's target. Why aren't you cutting rates? And and Jerome Powell kind of danced around it, uh, and ultimately he said, "We're not cutting rates in March. That that's off the table." Um, the market still thinks there's a 40% chance they cut rates in March. So apparently it's not <laughs> off the table. And my guess is that number goes to 80 if employment is uh, below 100,000. Um, so, but, but, you know, but that, you but real quick, though, that brings up an interesting point between this whole market expectation and the Fed, right? The Fed only expects to cut rates three, three times this year based on their own projections. But the market's still hung up on this five to seven rate cuts this year, right? And so yeah. they keep expecting the Fed's going to cut rates a whole lot more than what the Fed's actually saying. So, you know, and this is potentially a problem for the market. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. You know, expectations versus reality. So don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com last night i told you my wife was traveling so last night she got home we've been trying to finish up the reacher series on amazon and it was interesting because the first time i've been on amazon now for couple of weeks because she's been traveling and so we sat down to watch the next episode of reacher and it a screen pops up and says you're now going to experience ads during your show unless you want to pay an extra 295 a month and immediately see this is where amazon and and these other companies that are now trying to insert ads back into to streaming the mistake they're making is is that all us old people like this is how we grew up with television <laughs> there was always commercials so you know commercial on a television show who cares i'm not paying 295 to not have commercials i don't care i get up and go to the bathroom during the commercial come back we're all good <laughs> so we'll see what happens but event see this is we talked about before people cutting the cord right we're gonna cut the cord we're gonna all streaming mm-hmm. and now everybody's getting feed to death because of all these different you know individual packages so bundling's yeah. going to come back at some point and commercials are coming back just go back to free tv that's what we had before Worked have the commercials just fine just yeah exactly just go back to commercials and yeah some of them are actually entertaining <laughs> okay admit it do you cry during the clydesdale commercial no but the the <laughs> the, 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 the spca commercials get me <laughs> yeah so, which is also occurs at my house every night at dinner as we're eating. Our dogs are the SPCA commercial dogs. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, just for the break, talk a little bit about. So the the Fed's talking about you know cutting rates, and you know the the, the interesting conundrum here is is that 
you know, there's really not a reason to cut rates. The market's doing fine. The economy's doing fine. And, you know, it's interesting the Fed's talking about cutting rates, but that's their ammunition to basically support the economy in the event of a recession. So for the first time in decades, you now have a bit of ammunition in your gun, right, to offset a potential recession. And right now there really isn't a sign of one. The economy's doing fine. Markets are doing great. Um, you know, bonds are okay. Um you know, people are, you know, housing prices are coming back up. So, I mean, pretty much the economy is firing on all cylinders, at least on the surface. You may not agree with that, but at least on the surface, that's what the numbers say. And it's interesting, the Fed's being pushed into this rather aggressive rate hiking, uh, rate cutting campaign at a time there's actually no recession. So I, I find it kind of interesting that the markets are now driving Fed policy for a lot of reasons. And the, the, the market wants lower interest rates, cheap financing, which has a negative drawback effect economically. Zero rates are not good for the economy. It's not good for economic prosperity. It's not good for economic growth for, you know, across the board because it, it pushes us into the point of having to finance more and more stuff because you're not getting paid for the debt that's outstanding. But anyway, different argument for a different day. So, but here, here's the point is that, you know, as, as, as we talked about this, there's this dichotomy now between Wall Street expecting five to seven rate cuts and the Federal Reserve that's saying, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll get around to cutting rates. There's been a few Fed speakers come out recently and said, yeah, we're going to cut rates, but like latter half of this year, it's going to be a while. So, Mike, at, at what point does the market or the Fed win this battle? Uh, I, look, first of all, we can't really trust the Fed, right? Let's go back to November and December of last year. They said two completely different things at two meet, two consecutive meetings, right? In early November, they said, this is great. Higher interest rates and lower stock prices mean that we don't have to raise rates anymore. And six weeks later, bond yields fell sharply, stock prices rose, and now they're, they were talking about cutting rates. So they're flying by the seat of their pants. And I, I think one thing in the back of Powell's mind is 2001, right? In 2001, the economy was recovering really nicely. Inflation was really low and the Fed just kept kept rates really low and they were doing QE. That's when the Fed should have been raising rates and doing QT, but the Fed didn't anticipate inflation. So I think now they're on the opposite side of that fence that part of them is scared that there is a lag effect. I mean, history has proven there's a lag effect over and over again, and they see it so that they think they need to lower rates. Um, and just because you don't see the economy faltering or unemployment rising today, doesn't mean it's not gonna happen in three months or six months or two months or whatever it may be. So I think the Fed is getting uh, a little, concerned. I think the market is more concerned than the Fed that the economy is going to falter and that they need to get ahead of it. Um, the question is how far ahead of it. And if you get too far ahead of it, do you re-stimulate inflation? And it's, you know, it's tough calculus trying to figure that out. And economists can't figure it out. The Fed can't figure it out. We can't figure it out. So you kind of have to play your odds. And my guess is that the Fed wants to put a little insurance out there, you know, cut rates two to three times. The market wants five, six, seven times. 
I think at the end of the day, either the Fed's right or the Fed's probably cutting 10 or plus times this year, meaning that they're cutting in 50 basis point increments multiple times because we're in a recession. Yeah. And, you know, later in the year, there's nothing right now that screams recession. Uh, unless, but, un, unless, and again, you know, we, we talk, as we talked about before, what's going to trigger that is going to be some unexpected event that nobody's even thinking about right now. And, and your, to your point, there's nothing right now in the data that suggests there's any risk of a recession. But you know, tomorrow you have the next Lehman crisis that crops up out of nowhere. Then you have your recession. Right? It takes an event to trigger that. Right. A, a change in mindset yep. from employers. Why would they start firing employees when they've had so much trouble hiring employees? What would change that? And I, look, we don't have the answer. Fed doesn't have the answer. No one has that answer. But it is a risk with interest rates this high. So I, I think they will lower rates. I think inflation is already down where they want it to be. And, you know, one thing the Fed mentioned that Jerome Powell mentioned specifically yesterday was that he is acutely aware that rent prices are flat to negative and that they're still four, five, six percent in the CPI figures. So roughly, you know, a third of the CPI data is overstated. So so they factor in that CPI is really probably close to two percent if you use real time data. Mm. So, you know, what I think just because the, the Fed said we're not going to go in March doesn't mean anything. It wouldn't surprise me, again, if we get a bad unemployment number tomorrow, the Fed's going in March, Right. Um, especially if inflation continues to fall. So, you know, I think that he's been so wishy-washy the last few meetings. I'm surprised the market sold off as much as it did on his little, we're not doing anything in March statement. But it wouldn't shock me either if everything we lost yesterday is recovered by tomorrow's close. The way the markets are going to open this morning, it'll probably be a pretty good shot. That might be today. <laughs> so. Right. Right. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, but his statement is a little bond bullish, right? That we're going to be conservative lowering rates. We're going to focus on inflation. Basically, what he's saying is we want to crush inflation. Right. And that's music to the bond market's ears. Well, I thought it was interesting. And, and you know, we'll... We can start this conversation, but I, I do want to spin this over to, to fixed income because, you know, this is something that we've talked about for quite some time, that inflation will come down, yields are going to fall. There was there was a big contingency of people last year that oh, interest rates are only going to go from here. It's all about the debt. It's all about the deficit. Interest rates have to go higher. And you and I have made the case repeatedly that interest rates can't go higher because of the debt. Um, interest service now outstrips a lot of the major programs that we have to fund in the government. So when you talk about Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid, interest expense is, is rapidly increasing, and this is something that the government really can't afford. So the government needs lower interest rates to continue to finance all the spending that they want to finance. And, this, and we're talking about specifically the mandatory spending, which is Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, the things that you want to make sure get funded. That all has to be funded with some debt because revenues don't cover all those mandatory expenses alone. So we're, we're having to fund that with additional debt. And when you throw interest expense on the top of that, which is also a mandatory expense, there's just a need to get that down, which is going to lead the Fed to come back to have to monetize debt at some point in the future as well. So this is where we also talk about not only is the Fed going to be, and we'll talk about this after the break, but 
this is not only the point that the Fed is going to have to cut rates at some point, but they're going to have to start rebuilding their balance sheet as well, um, just because of this whole need of funding that we have within the government. But right. uh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. You got, you got him out about a minute. No, no, no. You, you're, you're correct. At the end of the day, this economy cannot sustain, int sustain interest rates where they're at. It's not just the federal government. It's corporations. It's individuals. It's the housing market. Look, the housing market hasn't collapsed because it's been frozen. No one's selling, no one's buying. But if rates stay at, you know, mortgage rates stay at six, seven percent for 10 more years, housing prices have to come down sharply because people are eventually going to have to sell. It's going to have to, you're going to have to get change in that market. Corporations did a great job of terming out debt, but at some point that, that one, two, three percent debt matures and has to be rolled over. Mm. All of a sudden their interest expenses rise and they have to lay off employees to offset that. So right. this, you know, this lag effect is real and it will happen. And well, the Fed knows it. Right. And that's a and that's a that's a great segue because we'll come back after the break and we'll pick up with Jeff Gunlack who's saying exactly the same thing. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com so the subject of this weekend's newsletter is the markets are detached from you know the real economy and of course as we look at a lot of the economic data that relates to the economy itself, leading economic indicators, inverted yield curves, shipping uh, data, manufacturing data. Uh, UPS uh, just announced really bad earnings. Outlook was terrible. You know, that tells you that the economy is actually a lot weaker than what the headline data suggests. And this is why we have a lot of revisions to data, et cetera, that occur. And it's always you've got to keep up with this stuff. I was talking about consumer confidence yesterday is, is that this is a confidence survey. So, you know, Brent, how do you feel about the about your present situation today? Oh, I feel good. But then they revised down last month's data. So did, you know, did they, well, the guy, you know, I, I just didn't, well, I thought I felt better last month. I really didn't. So they, how does that work? But that's what happens, right? We have all these survey data that we look at, and then we're revising the data behind the scenes, and nobody really looks at that. But nonetheless, we, you know, from a market investing perspective, we have to go with what's being reported because that's what's driving the markets. We know that there's problems with that data, but right now the data is supportive of markets and those type of things. So this is this is the challenge that that comes into investing, and particularly when it comes to bonds or anything else that are that are very tied to the economic cycle. Bonds have a much closer tie to the economic cycle than just about any other asset class. But I thought it was interesting yesterday, Mike, uh, Double Line's uh, Double Line Capital CEO Jeff Gunlack came out. He's on CNBC talking about this kind of Goldilocks narrative that that has pretty much become pervasive. 
you know, this is also interesting. We've talked about before when everybody expects something to happen, something else tends to occur. And previously in 2022, everybody expected a recession. It didn't occur. Now everybody expects Goldilocks, right? So maybe there's a risk, but that's what Jeff Gunlack says. He says, when I hear the word Goldilocks, I get nervous. He says, when you hear people saying Goldilocks and everybody in the room is nodding their head in the north and south direction saying, yeah, it's Goldilocks, that means everything is priced into something resembling perfection. And today, Powell took the Goldilocks away, that narrative away. Um, Jeff Gunlock's still expecting a recession this year. I don't know if we get one this year. The data, you know, again, unless there's something that just kind of pops up out of the blue that really triggers a change in overall sentiment, just the grind lower in economic data is going to take probably the rest of this year to get towards that zero level. GDP is still running at a fairly elevated level relative to historical norms. And it's just going to take a longer time for that to grind its way towards zero. So, you know, a recession in 2025 certainly possible. Um, Jeff Gunlack thinks it happens this year, but I uh, just kind of wanted to get your view on this. I mean, he's also expecting rates to be substantially lower on bonds as well because of the Fed cutting rates and doing these type of things. But your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with him. Again, timing a recession is impossible. But the longer interest rates are high, the odds of a recession, the long, you know, the more the odds of a recession are there. There's a lot of pressures. This is how many times have we and every other market pundit talked about the Magnificent Seven and how they're leading the market higher? Well, what's not talked about a lot is the unmagnificent 493 <laughs> that are doing nothing or, or declining, mm -hmm. right? And, and it's it's not just stock prices, it's earnings too. Earnings for the Magnificent Seven were up, I think, 14% last year. The unmagnificent 493 were down about 6%. The economy is the same way. There, there's the headline data is good, but there's a lot of underlying data that is not very good. And what's amazing to me is kind of listening to the Biden camp. They don't get it. They don't understand why, why economic confidence, Joe, but what people think about Joe Biden in relation to the economy, how strong the economy is, doesn't make sense in the administration's mind. They're, they. They say, look, GDP is doing great. Inflation's coming down. The unemployment rate is the lowest in 50 years. Why do people think I'm not handling the economy well? Mm -hmm. And that's that's a very good question. But when you look at the underlying data, the number of people with multiple jobs, the fact that the manufact the whole manufacturing sector is in a recession, that uh, you know, a lot of there's a lot of data that says all is not well that the, the breadth of the economy is not great. So there's, you know, you got these nice headlines that come out that say everyone's doing great and everyone's wonderful, but that's not necessarily the case. And you can pick through the employment data and find many instances that things are not that great and that wages for a lot of people have not kept up with inflation. So they're further in the hole. Credit card rates are higher. They're using more debt, using these newer buy now, pay later mm -hmm. loans. Um, so, you know, I think beneath the, the glossy surface, there's some rough seas. And the question is, it's kind of like the stock market. If Apple comes out tonight and completely bombs it and Meta does the same thing, 
does the tie change for those Magnificent Seven? Tesla's already kind of fallen out in there. You know, it's now the Super Six or whatever the new <laughs> name's going to be. But what happens if that happens? What happens if that occurs with the economy? Yeah. Right. What happens if unemployment tomorrow is negative 100,000? Well, and the week, the month after that, it's, a, you know, a flat number. Well, I know, and you look, you, change. you right, you, and, and and you make a great point, right? Because you know, one thing you didn't bring up, of course, is earnings themselves, which mm-hmm. is, you know, right now earnings are expected to grow for the S and P five hundred on a year over year basis, but that's only because of those top seven stocks that are actually growing earnings. You take a look at the bottom four hundred ninety three. If you strip out those top top seven, earnings would actually decline this year. So again, that's right, right. It, since earnings are a reflection of economic activity, right? I mean, you and I have to go out and spend money, do things, right? We've got to buy Taylor Swift tickets. We've got to go buy Taylor Swift, you know, paraphernalia at the concert. That's got to buy a Travis Kelsey jersey. Exactly, and so that <laughs> all that all generates revenue for the companies that manufacture that stuff. That's where earnings come from. So, and that's part of that's that's part of the conversation from this weekend's newsletter is that there's a very high correlation between economic activity and earnings. But if you look at the earnings strength of 493 companies, it suggests that the economy is substantially weaker than when you throw in those top seven stocks that are just growing revenue hand over fist right now. Right, their earnings were down last year. Yeah, they were down. I think it was like three or four percent. Correct. So how how do four hundred ninety three of the five hundred largest companies have negative earnings in aggregate when the economy's growing at what was it three four percent last year? Right. It, it just you know you know you, the risk is that the 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 stock market is hinged on the fortunes of seven companies that you know that's a market risk. Uh, we can debate that all day. It's not a, you know, it doesn't, it just means the market could fall because those seven stocks fall, but the other 493 could rise. Mm-hmm. Um, but the economy too, it's very similar that if you just get a little more weakness in some of these key factors, the economy may not look as mere, mere as strong as it does to Joe Biden and to a lot of economists and to the market. Well, I mean, look, uh, again, if you just look at the headline economic data, there is no doubt that the economy is doing fine. Employment is doing fine. Economic growth, 3.3% in the fourth quarter, it's doing fine. Consumer confidence, highest level in two and a half years. Now, that's all present situation, mind you. It's how people feel today. And as Albert uh, Edwards from SOCGEN pointed out this morning, if it wasn't for when they break it down by political leanings, the entire driver, and this is an interesting point of what you bring up, the entire driver of the increase in consumer confidence for present situation came from the from the Democrat side of those that were polled. The if you were a Republican or independent, that present situation index did not improve that much. So it was most the, the the big increase in present situation mostly came from Democrats, which is interesting because again, from the standpoint, yes, most people is like, oh, this economy sucks. I mean, I can, you can look at our chat right now on our YouTube channel, and they're all telling you the same thing: the economy sucks. But headlines, again, the headline data says everything is fine. And, you know, this has this, we have to deal with that because that's what markets are playing off of right now. Right, right. And, you know, until that changes, that's what's going to drive the economy. And that's what's going to drive the stock and bond market, just like those seven stocks drive the stock market. And it is what it is. But it doesn't mean 
that we can't be in a recession. It also doesn't mean that we can't have a booming economy in nine months. So again, we just focus on what we have. And I think employment, we've said this a lot, is the key figure. And the BLS can, if they want to be political, and I don't think they do, but if they did, they could get political and they could show some numbers that support Biden. But at the end of the day, there's enough enough other employment data like ADP, like jobless claims that are coming from the states themselves that, that tell us what's really going on. And none of those are telling us that the economy's falling off a cliff. They, they're a little weaker than the BLS number, but it's not recession weaker. It's just a little weaker. Right. So, well, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens, Mike. And, uh, you know, we'll obviously just keep updating everybody on this. And, and again, you know, they the, you know, kind of as we move into this year, I think that kind of the key market to watch is the bond market. Uh, again, that's going to tell you more about economic activity and what's really going on. Right. And the fact that yields are falling tells us also that the economy is probably a lot weaker than what headlines suggest. Otherwise, yields will be going up. So, you know, right. this is you know, I think there's a lot of data out there that supports this idea of a much weaker economy and, and the place to probably be is, is going to be ultimately be bonds. So we'll, we'll keep you updated. Uh, Mike, thanks so much. All right, that wraps up the show for the day. Of course, uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Danny Ratliff, Richard Rosso for Financial Fitness Friday. Our weekend's newsletter will be out on Saturday. So make sure you're subscribed absolutely free, of course, at the website, willinvestmentadvice.com. And again, don't miss today's daily market commentary talking about Taylor Swift. It's on the website now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't go away.